Our sermon text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And these events occur about six months after Jesus' birth and directly after King Herod's wise men visited Jesus. Earlier in Matthew 2, we read that when wise men from the east brought news of Jesus' birth, Matthew 2, 1 through 2 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now King Herod was troubled by the news that a rival king had been born. In fact, the text says that all of Jerusalem was troubled as well, though this was likely due to Herod's tendency for violence. So King Herod commissioned the wise men to follow the star, to find Jesus, and return to him with the location so that he could go worship Jesus for himself. Now Bethlehem is about a two-hour journey from Jerusalem, where King Herod resides, so it's likely that the Magi traveled straight to Bethlehem when they saw the star. And as we read in the verse preceding today's passage, God communicates to the wise men through a dream that Jesus is in danger. And so rather than returning to Herod, they travel a different route back to their own country. And by doing so, they give Joseph and Mary a chance to take Jesus and escape Herod's wrath. And that brings us to our passage today, which again is Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled with the prophet, or what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for your word to us this morning, 
and for the gospel of your son, Jesus. As we enter this new year, may you continue to speak to us through your word, and may we continue to seek you in the word. In your name, amen. You may be seated. During Advent, we, of course, spend time talking about the miracle of Jesus' birth. And we read of the faithfulness that Mary displays throughout the story as well. But I think sometimes we lose sight of just how faithful Joseph was too. Especially since Joseph is so rarely mentioned in Scripture after this passage. Truly, Joseph is a shining example of faithfulness as well. Remember, Joseph was betrothed to Mary when he found out that she was with child. Uh, they They didn't live together yet and they hadn't had sexual relations of any kind, so of course Joseph assumed that she had been unfaithful to him. This would have brought incredible shame in those days. In fact, the punishment for adultery was stoning. But Joseph still had compassion for Mary, and he planned to divorce her quietly in hopes that perhaps her life would be spared. That is, of course, until an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream for the first time, and explained to him what was really going on. After that, Joseph took Mary to be his wife and didn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born, all the while leading her and the Son of God to Bethlehem and protecting his wife and the child the whole time. For six months or so after Jesus was born, they lived in Bethlehem. They had relatives there, and it was a comfortable place to settle down and start their lives together as a family. Remember, Joseph is probably in his early 20s at this point. Mary's almost certainly a teenager. They're really young, and they're just starting out, and they literally have the weight of the world on their shoulders. After the craziness of the past nine months, I'm sure they were hoping for some peace and some safety amongst relatives and friends. But as we read in our passage today, that wasn't the case. Our passage this morning begins with an angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph in a dream. This would be the second time the angel appeared to Joseph. And just as he did the first time, Joseph immediately listens to God. He is warned that Jesus is in grave danger. King Herod, who remember is only about two hours away from them in Jerusalem, wants to kill the child because Jesus rivals his authority. And so... Joseph immediately rose, he awoke his family, he gathered up what belongings they could carry, and they set out for Egypt that very night. Once Joseph received his directions, he followed them, and he never looked back, which given the gravity and the weight of this calling, really is a testament to how we are to respond to God's calling in our own lives. See, it can be really challenging even to seek God's direction in the first place. We get caught up in our own agendas, our own plans, or our own ideas. We get so caught up that we think that we can take care of it ourselves. And yet, God does have a plan. And as shown in our text this morning, his plan is always wiser and more complete than anything we could ever come up with on our own. At first blush... Egypt might seem like a strange place for God to lead Joseph. After all, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt during the Exodus and out of slavery. 
Isn't this a strange place for God to direct Joseph to take his family with God's own son only six months after his birth? Why Egypt? Why would God have Joseph lead his family into a foreign land with an obvious history of mistreating Jews? Now, we may remember Egypt for enslaving Israel prior to the Exodus, but if we dig a little deeper into the Old Testament, we actually see God use Egypt as a place of refuge for Israel. Abraham went to Egypt to seek relief during the famine in Genesis 12. Our Old Testament reading this morning depicts Jacob and his family going to Egypt where Joseph had gained prominence. And it would be in Egypt that Israel would really begin to grow and to thrive, becoming a mighty nation before the Exodus, one that the Egyptians had to contend with. Later in 1 Kings, we read of Jeroboam fleeing to Egypt when Solomon was trying to kill him. Then in Jeremiah, Uriah flees to Egypt to escape the wrath of King Jehoiakim. As we can see, God used Egypt often to provide for his people. Also at this time, there were many Jews residing in Egypt. So while Joseph and Mary would have to start their lives together in a foreign land, they'd have to start over with the added pressure of raising the literal son of God. They would at least feel secure and at home amongst their own people there. Also, as Matthew points out, this would serve to fulfill prophecy. Matthew quotes Hosea 11.1, which reads, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So while it seems like a strange choice at first, it does actually make sense. And God had put this plan into motion long before Jesus was born. And Joseph followed that plan without question, quietly and secretly, whisking his family to safety that very night, to the safety God had provided them in Egypt and away from the wrath of the evil king. As we read in the text, once Herod became aware that he'd been duped, he quickly came up with another plan. Rather than running all over Bethlehem to find the child himself, he ordered every male child in Bethlehem, two years old or younger, to be slaughtered. Again, Jesus was only six months old at the time, and Herod had a general idea of how old Jesus was, but just to be safe, he expanded the parameters of his order, and he left a wide margin for error to absolutely ensure that if Jesus was still in Bethlehem, he would be killed. To further emphasize just how evil Herod was, historians such as Josephus don't even mention this slaughter. Bethlehem was a small town. Therefore, there were likely only 20 to 30 children matching this description, which, as crazy as it seems, compared to Herod's other evil deeds, which included killing members of his own family, uh, this purge of innocent children wasn't even worth mentioning in the history books. Truly, the land of Israel would not be safe until King Herod was no longer in power. And Joseph, Mary, and Jesus stayed in Egypt until Herod was gone. Fortunately, King Herod would die two years later, and his kingdom was divided into three parts. And for a third time, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, announcing that it was time to return to Israel. And so they packed up again, and they set out for the land of Israel. 
Unfortunately, Herod's son, Archelaus, was given control over Judea, Samaria, and Edomia. And he was just as evil as his father was. He opened his reign by slaughtering 3,000 prominent citizens in his territory. Clearly, it still wasn't safe for them in Bethlehem. But once again, God provided him instructions. For a fourth time, the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream, warning him of the danger ahead. And Joseph rerouted his family, traveling instead to Galilee, where the family settled down in a city called Nazareth. Thus fulfilling the prophecy Matthew references in verse 23 when he says, He shall be called a Nazarene. And so the family dropped roots in Nazareth, having started their journey from a stable in Bethlehem, fleeing to Egypt months later, returning to Israel, and changing course once again to end up in Galilee. And yet, despite all of the chaos and the trials they faced, all the moving around, all the danger, God provided. And God directed Joseph where to go and what to do in order to keep his family safe. And Joseph, in his faithfulness, followed every step of God's plan immediately and without question. And just as he did with Joseph, God continues to lead us and to guide us and to protect us. Maybe not from everything. But he does provide guidance for us to stay on the path he has planned for us. And maybe he doesn't always speak to us in dreams through the angels. But he certainly is still capable of doing that. But we know that if we're listening, God does speak to us in different ways. When Madison and I drove back to Washington State a few weeks ago, uh, we decided to split the trip into two days. Uh, we were able to make the entire, I don't know, it's like 1,050 miles or something like that. We were able to make the entire drive in one day during the summer when we had long days and clear roads. Uh, but with short window of daylight and potential for bad weather, we had already booked a hotel room in Missoula for Sunday night. We arrived at our hotel at about 10.30 p.m. on Sunday. We put Mac, our dog, to bed. We set our alarm for 5.30 because we wanted to reach our destination by early afternoon. And we tried to get some rest in a very uncomfortable hotel room. For what it's worth, I would not recommend the Red Lion in Missoula, especially if you bring a dog, but that's a story for another time. The next morning, the alarm roused us from bed after a nearly sleepless night. We packed everything back in the truck and we set out to conquer Lookout Pass in the dark, in the snow. And we made it about an hour. <laughs> Madison had her map application pulled up on her phone in front of me on my dash because between the snow flurry and the darkness, I was really struggling to see the road. And at least this way, I would have a heads up before I reached Ben's in the road. Um, Unfortunately, her phone did not alert me to a patch of black ice at the bottom of a hill. And at 50 miles an hour, with trucks following us down the hill, we hit that ice and we immediately lost all traction. And despite my best efforts to regain control, we eventually slid into the barrier on the side of a bridge. After bouncing off the barrier, I was able to steer us off the bridge and onto the left-hand shoulder. 
where I got out, I did my best to assess the damage to my truck in the dark. I pulled my plastic mud flap back in place as best I could, and then I got back in the truck. Now, at this point, I was faced with two options. I was safely off the road at that particular time, and I didn't really know the extent of the damage because I couldn't see. So it would probably be best to stay put and call the police and let them know what happened. Or, having assessed the damage as best I could, and having seen no major damage to the wheels, I could try to drive away. Now, I'm typically a cautious person, so I think that my gut instinct would typically be to make the call to the police and to sit and wait. But in that moment, I felt an immediate urge to act. And one thought flooded my mind. One word was just blaring in my head, blocking out everything else. It was the word drive. And so less than a minute after crashing my truck and with my hands still shaking, I threw it back into gear. I merged back onto I-90 and I drove off. I quickly found out that I was way out of alignment. There was a fairly major problem with at least one of my wheels. But God graciously guided us to a gas station in Superior where I pulled in and after assessing the damage in the light, I called AAA to get a tow. AAA answered right away. They said they'd have a tow truck to me in 45 minutes or less. But here's where the story gets crazy. After waiting an hour with no tow truck in sight, AAA called back, informing me that there had been a major accident on I-90 and that all local tow trucks were headed to help clean it up. There had been four cars involved with a semi-truck off the road and they needed all hands on deck because I-90 westbound was closed until they could clear the road. And though I think we probably already knew, Madison and I pulled up her map again to find out where the accident was. And sure enough, it was right at the bottom of that same hill. Later, we found out that the accident likely occurred right about the time we were pulling into that gas station, which was less than 10 minutes after we'd crashed ourselves. So even though our trip was delayed, and our trip back delayed even further, we can clearly see how God worked through that car accident and protected us, or we could have been stuck at the bottom of the hill when the big accident took place. We also vowed to never make that drive during the winter ever again. <laughs> I think most of the time this is how God works at least in my experience. The circumstances we face may not be ideal in our eyes. I'm sure if we could go back in time and ask Joseph how he wanted to start his marriage, it probably would have looked different. But yet God will see us through difficult times because he has a perfect plan. He may not use an angel speaking to us in a dream like he did with Joseph, though again, he certainly could if he wanted. Most of the time, he speaks to us simply by pulling us in one direction or another. And he does it in a variety of ways. He uses scripture, his living word, to speak truth into our lives 
and to shape our thoughts and our actions to reflect his will for us. He uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us in times of trouble or in face with difficult decisions or even to encourage us to assist others when they're facing their own difficulties. And sometimes, like Madison and I a couple weeks ago, we don't even recognize God's provision or protection until further down the road. Yet we can be at peace with the knowledge that God has a plan. And his plan is perfect. Even when it leads us places we didn't expect or requires a leap of faith or seems to be leading us through the very valley of the shadow of death, God provides and promises to continue to provide so long as we seek to follow him and are receptive to his calling. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, as we navigate difficult situations or decisions in our lives, may you remind us that you have a plan for us and that your plan is perfect. As we read in our text today, you are faithful to those who seek and follow you. Remind us of this story when we hear your voice, but may be confused about where you are leading us or why. Instead, may we follow your call wherever it takes us, because you know best. Strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.